We have God's word before us in Luke 15. Maybe just bow together as we ask the Lord to open up his word to such a way that we may have ears to hear and even eyes to see God at work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came down from heaven to earth and in Jesus Christ we have the word made flesh. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as the way, as the truth, as the life, and we thank you, Lord, that you gave us life in such a way that our life has now been restored, redeemed, and been set free, that our ears are open and our hearts are ready to receive what you have to say this morning. Thank you that this is your word, Lord God. Thank you this is divine, inspired, and forever will ever change. But Lord, we thank you that it will change our hearts and it will make us again more aware of your way with us, Lord God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can call you Father. And even those, Lord, who perhaps don't even recognize you as Father, may it be that this day their hearts would turn towards you in such a way that they would know that you are the God who loves, a God who stands there ready to wait, a God is always available. We thank you for doing such a thing of grace and favor in our midst this morning, Lord, and we thank you that you just again encourage us on the journey of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 15, we are going to have a look at the parable of the lost son. It starts in verse 11 of Luke 15. And it tells us that Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother's come, they said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in, and so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never give, gave me 
a, a, even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You might recognize from Luke 15, a few other parables there. For those who have the NIV, they're usually a bit of a subscript at the top there, or postscript. It says parable of a lost sheep and parable of a lost coin. Parables, the way that Jesus actually got the information out in such a way that anybody could understand. I'm assuming everybody understood that story and got the idea of what was going on. That's a parable. It's a beautiful story. And it sounds like a real true story, and it could well have been. Because when I tell you a little later on the story of Jacob and Esau, you'll probably, I think the people who were listening to that probably sort of thought, oh, I've heard this before somewhere. And remembering they only had the Old Testament to con you know, consider and as a reference point. But parables, parables are something in this particular context of a regaining possession, redemption parables, lost and found. Salvation means you once were lost and now is found. It means healing, it means deliverance. Even at the deepest level is when we come to God and he recognized that, yes, Lord, you have called me and I was lost. And this is the wonderful story about this parable of the lost son. You see, sooner or later, it's going to happen perhaps that, yep, your world may fall apart. Sorry, that's life. Nobody orchestrates these things, but things happen. And I think if I sort of ask the questions of most folk, I say, have you had a trouble-free life? You'll probably look at me with a sort of blank stare and say, trouble-free, what's that again? Uh, no, in this world you will have troubles, unfortunately. But it's the getting through of those troubles, the redemption out of those troubles, the fact that, yes, you've perhaps regained possession of something that you lost, or whatever it was lost, God is able to help you find it again. And that's the beauty of redemption. That's the beauty of the... Uh, a parable like this that says, here he is, once upon a time, the world had fallen apart, and he says to himself, I've got to fix this lot. He talks to himself. It's like talking to your inner being, your soul. And when you talk to your soul, <laughs> whatever you've had in life speaks back. Who knows the story behind the song, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Does that sound familiar to some folk who may have sung it in the past? It was written by a guy called Horatio Spafford way back in the 1870s, not having a troubled free life. He lost his son in 1870. He died. 1871, Horatio was living in Chicago. The, the fires of Chicago burnt all his belongings and everything Horatio had. 1873, Horatio says to his wife and three children, three girls, go over from, uh, to England. And on the way, guess what? The ship went down. Only his wife survived. She sends a telegram to Horatio, says, saved alone, what shall I do? Well, Horatio set sail to go and join her, and as they were passing the place, the sea cap the captain of the ship said, it's around about here that the boat went down with your three daughters. And here we have a song. And the guy tells us that it is well with his soul. Wow, how did he get that right? 
the soul is made by God the soul is made for God the soul is made to need God how much do we need God how's your soul the story of this young man who went off seeking great things squandering his wealth well he came to a point when he had to have a good hard chat with himself and say what is going on in my life how is my soul Yes, the soul made by God, it's made for God, and it's made to need God. How, how does that work? Only God knows how that works. But it works in such a way that your soul is your operating system of life. Speak to people who know of computers, etc. your operating system. It's the thing that when somebody presses your buttons, what comes out? That's your soul. That's the thing that people see first and foremost, and the things that they hear. That's the thing that happened with Horatio Spafford. He could have lamented forever and a day, but when he got to a point, he said, God, you're the one who gives, you're the one who takes away. It is well, it is well with my soul. His soul, being the operating system of life, seeks harmony, it seeks connection, it seeks and searches for a father. You may not have realized that, but so many times people go searching for things and they don't quite know what they're looking for because they don't know God as father. He's there. He's always ready. But somehow we keep missing the obvious that God is our Father, our Creator, and He's waiting. He's just waiting for us to come to our senses. That's why I love verse 17. When He came to His senses, it was like, lights on. What causes that? Uh, why does God allow us to go and feed the pigs and go through all these things and then only then? Well, I don't know. Um, I'm a father of two children, and I had to give them certain liberties, and especially if it's a young man, <clears throat> of which we have one, not so young, he's turning 30, he should know that he's free to do, he has choices in life, thank goodness he didn't ask for his inheritance, because he wouldn't have got very much to go with, but that's another story. Um, but here's this young guy, the father, he has two sons, and the sons, well, guess what, they didn't really have a father. They didn't really have a relationship. The one just wanted to run away, and the other one says, well, you don't love me, otherwise you'd give me more things. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, a loving father did give them. And you know what's this whole thing about inheritance? That the elder son gets two-thirds, and the younger one only gets a third. You thought it was 50-50. It -50. doesn't work that way. Older son gets double blessings. So when older son comes on later on in the story and says, well, you didn't give me a goat, excuse me, I, I've just given you like two-thirds of my property here. I think by this stage you should be self-sufficient to get your own goat. That's being a polite father, sorry. Just the way we are sometimes. We have to be honest now with our children, all right? But here it is. When his son, the firstborn, receives a double blessing, everything was for him. And, um, well, he should have had a trouble-free life thereafter. But, you know, as the story unfolds, as I mentioned, those who were listening to it probably would have remembered the story of Esau and Jacob, who back in Genesis 25, the younger brother actually managed to manipulate the older brother to get that blessing, that birthright. All right, this wasn't quite the same story in a way, but yes, they both got blessings, and one definitely got more. But just like Jacob, who then, after he had done his brother Esau out of the, the blessing, ran away, we have a sort of similarity, I suppose, of younger son just heading off to that distant land thinking freedom was it really 
Uh, some people think the more I've got, the more I'll be free. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. You may have noticed that sometimes that the more you get, it doesn't bring you happiness. And here he was, a young son, traveling off all by himself into that big wide world, squandering his wealth, making lots of friends, I'm sure. And at the end of the day, what did it get him? He had to go and hire himself out to a citizen of that land. Boy, he came down to earth. And uh, yeah, what happens in those sort of situations? As I mentioned to the, the folk the other night, it's basically called indentured labor. You go out, you hire yourself out, and you say, a bit of a contract goes on between your employer and the employee, you are the employee, and you say, I will work for you as long as you give me a roof over my head and feed me. As I'm reading the story, as I'm sure you probably have come across by this stage as well, that um, he began to be in need, and uh, the employer sends him out to his fields, and he's still hungry. Doesn't sound like the employer was actually living up to his side of the bargain. So at this point, we can now make a decision. We can go back to our employer and say, not fair, I signed on the dotted line, you're not feeding me, you didn't even provide anything for me. Or we can say, do we want to go back to that life again? Or do we go home? Do we go back to our father? When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, basically something went on in his brain and he started to choose life. And he chose life because he knew where life was. This was not life. This was squandering his wealth. This was eating amongst the pigs. Where were all his friends? Hmm. Yeah, you wonder. But you know, when you come to your senses, there's a sense of certainty. It starts getting your brain working. You start thinking positive thoughts. That's why even this morning when I said to you, leave your anxieties at the door. People come in here sometimes and they think, oh, what am I going to have for lunch? And they're too worried about lunch and things like that. Don't worry, lunch is being served. So if you've thought you were worried about lunch, that doesn't work. Thank you for all the ladies who contributed. You will be supplied. But it's things like that we bring into this house here and we sort of think, oh, what's going to happen? But if we come with a sense of certainty, if we come with a sense of right anticipation, God is in the house. God's actually able to sort out all those details, leave them at the door, and let's just come in and just say, thank you, Lord, for inviting us into your presence. That is a good thing. That is a thing. You've got to do this. You've got to avoid what's called analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis, you say that quickly. Basically, stop analyzing. Because the more you analyze, the more you get paralyzed. Leave your anxieties at the door. Come and ask God, your Heavenly Father, can I come back home? And what does our Heavenly Father say? Waiting. Leave your anxieties at the door. As imagine as strongly as you're able to that everything you've just experienced can be overcome. You've gone through the doldrums here, you've squandered all your wealth, you've been out with the pigs basically, and you're sort of asking yourself, is this as good as it gets? Surely there's got to be better. Surely there's got to be better. You know, we have to recognize as well that um, we make choices, and sometimes they're based on a little bit of help from our friend Satan. Not such a friend. He came to steal, kill, destroy, whatever he gets an opportunity, he will do that. He'll steal your peace. He'll kill whatever joy you have and he'll probably destroy all your hopes for the future if you let him. But guess what? Jesus said, I've come that you can have life. You can have life. 
So here we are, and verse 17 says, And he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's hired hands are there? And they've got food to spare. Why am I starving? And so he's having this big chat with himself, which is a good thing. So when people start talking to themselves, don't think they're all crazy, okay? Sometimes it's a real, genuine, you have to talk it out loud. Just sometimes helps. You can verbalize it internally, but if you start talking to yourself while nobody else is watching and listening, guess what? You get a bit of a better response. There you go. Talk to yourself. And here's your soul. It's in pain now. Your soul comes to a point and you're sort of saying, wait, if this were a dark night of the soul, when you're right there in the pits with the pigs, believe it or not, you have now reached this dark night of the soul. And you have come to a point where you sort of say, well, God, my father, is still there. He wants to change us, but not through just sort of joy and light and everything beautiful. He wants to sometimes change us through confusion, through disappointment, through loss. Think Job. Why did God allow all these things to be taken from Job? At the end of the story of Job, basically, God asked him, please pray for all these people around you. Job had been taken to a point of a deep, dark night of the soul. But God was working. God was working. And so when he came to his senses, he had the soul chat. And uh, verse 5 in Psalm 42, I've got to read this, because you know, if you thought this was unusual, our friend David, who wrote so many of these psalms, probably had a similar situation. I've I got to turn to it because it's, it's well worthwhile. Psalm 42. Here's David saying, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? And then he comes to a point, says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he goes on to say, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. And he goes on to say, From the heights of the Jordan to uh, from the land of the Jordan to the heights of, of Hermon, deep calls to deep. David recognized things were always going to be well with him. And he was quite content to say, Okay, God, I've got a disturbance in my soul. What's going on? And he comes to the conclusion, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God. And that's what we need. We need hope. We need to believe that, yes, this dark night of the soul is something. It's a night. In the night, after the night, comes the day. After the day, God shows us a new way, perhaps. It happened with Jacob. Remember back in Genesis 28, Jacob was run away. He knew he'd done wrong. He was just trying to escape life, I suppose. And he comes to a point, and he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up that morning, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. I was not aware of it. So sometimes God takes you to those places, and it's only in the next day that you come to realize God was there all the time. And Jacob, who was a deceiver and all things nasty, turned out to be a guy called Israel who had a fight with God, but he overcame. And so in a way, this is really a, a story of a Jacob to Israel experience. This young man was fighting. And guess what? He lost in such a wonderful way that I believe he came back a changed person to his father in such a way that, yeah, he could well be the Israel in the story. So what happens here? He says, I'll go out 
and set out and go back to my father. And because as you may have recognized, he had this little speech prepared. You know, he was going to say, all right, I'm going back to my father and I'm going to tell him that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he says these things, make me like one of your hired men. Great speech, very humbling. Go to your father in all humility and say, I've sinned against heaven and earth and would you just make me like one of your hired men? Well, when you read the story further on, it says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him filled with compassion. What is this thing called compassion? It's the thing that reaches out to somebody. It's the one that walks across the street. It's the Samaritan story. The Samaritan saw the need and walked over to help the man who had been beaten to death just about. Filled with compassion, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And at that point, his father said, thank you, I've heard enough. You don't have to tell me what you want me to do for you. I've just asked you and you've come, you've come believing that I'm ready to receive, uh, but don't tell God what, you have to, uh, what he wants it to do and what you should want to, him to make you become. Uh, God's got other plans. And there he was, the young man thought, well, I'm just going to be a hired hand. And guess what? God had a bigger and better plan for his life, didn't he? He suddenly became the star attraction. Bring on the show. Our lost son is home. So when you ask these things about God, would you receive me back for all the things that I've done wrong? You have to put your hope in a prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith basically says, I'm back and I'm just believing that you'll receive me. And the story is a beautiful one, as we all recognize, that the father, filled with compassion, runs to his son, throws his arms around him. But that prayer and that anticipation was something that, well, what does God think of me? You'll only know when you actually go back, running back to God, and he's there ready to receive. The son was so surprised, I have no doubt. And I think each one of us will probably be quite surprised if we finally figure out that perhaps we're doing things in our own way and we really just need to go back to God, our Father, and say, God, I've probably messed up a little bit. What do you think of me? And he says, well, you may think you're not worthy. Your Father in heaven says you're very worthy, very worthy for me to go running down the street to you. The older son, yeah, he also, what did he think? He, thinks, he probably thought, well, I'm more worthy than this other younger son, this other brother of mine. But do you know what happens to the older one? His soul was cluttered, cluttered with the sort of things of the world. Yeah, he was work, 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 and achieve, 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 and all that sort of thing. And there's this interesting thing that the Velcro of the soul is the desire for things. The Velcro of the soul, who would have thought that uh, a soul can be like Velcro when you stick onto something like that? It says, ah, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. And you just get cluttered up. And what do you have with that? Well, have you noticed that the more you have, the less you seem to enjoy. So that's just your soul getting cluttered up. All these years, he says, I've been slaving for you. Oh, can you not hear it? <laughs> the poor guy. And his father turns around and says, what is this? Oh, you know, let it go, let it go. He's got this sort of woundedness about him that says, oh, father, you never really loved me, did you? Uh, father loved him as much as he loved the other one who came back after having been lost. But got to let it go sometimes. And so don't become like the, the older son. With a sin behind, the sin is just sort of this competing forces that seem to go on sometimes. This desire to have more 
it seems to be a higher priority than wanting more of God. So there he was. The father, he receives them both. The father goes out to them both. Only one came in. Only one came inside. The other guy, the older son, he just couldn't, he couldn't cop this lot. Yeah, he, I don't know what happened to him. He just sort of said, no, nah, I cannot reconcile that my father would forgive so much. His soul was definitely cluttered, but this father, filled with compassion for both his sons, and compassion is reaching out soul to soul. Both sons were wounded, but only one had his wounds actually healed again as he came back into his father's house. So please don't be like an older son and stay outside and say, no, God, it's not for me. There's a space, there's a place back home. There's a place in God's family. And the love of the Father can only be received when we allow him to embrace us. That's quite a thought, being embraced by God. You may not know this, but the other day we had a prayer meeting here and there was a lady being prayed for. And um, I was standing behind her and I just put my hand on the back of her shoulder like that. So she didn't know who was actually touching her. But she tells me afterwards, you know, it had a sense of God embracing. It had a sense of just people being around her. God is able to do that for us. He sometimes asks us to be a part of that embrace as well. Are you willing to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? Are you willing to go out and embrace others and just help them perhaps through these times so that they can come home and they will be able to say, as Horatio Stafford said, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Spend a moment before God in prayer, in silence and in peace. Say, Lord, is there something in my soul that needs attention? Is there something in my relationship with you that I need to come back to? Ask God for a hug. Feel the Father's embrace. Spend a moment in quiet before the Lord. We bless you, Lord, for your embrace. We thank you, Father God, that you're a God always ready to receive. And we thank you for your compassion, the compassion that reaches out to those who are seeking, those who are lost, Lord, those who want to come back home, as it were, back into the Father's household. Thank you, Lord, that you receive us without any questions, because you know our hearts. You know, don't have to hear the words. You know what's in our heart to recognize that when our heart turns towards heaven, it's our soul seeking a Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you're able to fulfill all that we ask of you in such a way that we would know that warm embrace, that divine touch from above, the things that only you can give us, Lord. Thank you that you do that in such a loving way. But Lord, if you've asked us also to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then help us also to reach out and embrace and touch those who are hurting. And Lord, would you just use us in such a way to just give life and hope and the words of comfort where we can. So Lord, receive us into your kingdom, we pray, that we may all be able to rejoice together. And we could be able to say that our Father is the one who receives us and has allowed us to come back home. We thank you for this time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.